All right, well, let's go to the uh, Lord in a word of prayer, and we'll get started. Father, we, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this time that we have to come and to learn, to focus on your word, to look at this doctrine of assurance. Father, we thank you for the good news that we've heard today, that, that people are feeling better, and, and it seems like they're over the worst. And uh, Lord, we just we do pray for Robbie and, and Faye and Nelson. Lord, pray that you would continue to, to heal them. Uh, Father, we pr- do pray for Miss um, Colbert tonight as um, she with uh, issues of, of diabetes and, a, and her heart attack. Father, we... Um, we pray for her, we pray for her healing, we pray, um, Father, for those taking care of her, that you would give them wisdom and discernment as they do so. Father, we, um, we pray tonight for uh, Steve Edwards, and, and Father, we pray that, um, Lord, you would work you would in, with his blood pressure and get that to where uh, he is able to come uh, to Lynchburg, Father, and pray that you would continue to to heal his body as he's going through these different things and um, Lord be with him there Father we pray tonight that you would be with us as we uh, continue to learn and and work through this study we pray that um, Father you would would teach us by your spirit and in your word and so we pray this in Jesus name Amen alright so if you would take your Bibles and open with me tonight to Romans chapter 8 Romans chapter 8. So tonight we're kind of, we're coming back to our study on the assurance of faith. We've been, been looking, uh, looking through for the, the past few weeks and we've kind of concluded our walk through of chapter 18 of the Westminster Confession of Faith and what that has to say about this doctrine of assurance and um, and so throughout this study, as we've talked about it, we've, we've often mentioned the person of the Holy Spirit and, and how He works in, in bringing about assurance in the life of the believer. Uh, well, tonight we, we want to um, kind of pause and focus in on and, and try to kind of encapsulate that in, in one lesson and, and really seek to understand the work of the Spirit in the life of the believer regarding the subject of assurance. So uh, please look with me at, at Romans 8. We're going to read verses 12 through 17. It says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> so, um, we'll just start again. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear 
but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so tonight, using this set of verses, we're going to uh, want to look at, at six points here of, of the Holy Spirit working in the life of the believer. If these things are present in our lives, we, it will lead us to assurance of faith. And so we'll kind of walk through these verses. The first one, found in verse 12, um, Dr. Beakey refers to this as oughtness, and oughtness kind of made up a word. Um, it says that in this verse, it says we, we do not live according to the flesh. So in other words, we're taught uh, how we ought to live, how we ought to carry ourselves, how we ought to think and act. Um, we, we learn from this verse that uh, we should have a holy revulsion for the things of the flesh, the, those things that are at odds with life in the spirit, those things that are sinful and, and against the law of God. They should repulse us. They, they should cause a, a reaction of distaste or, or disdain in us as we see that sin in our lives. And on the other hand, the things of the spirit should be amplified in our lives. Those things which are, are pleasing and, and obedient to God should become more and more prominent. And like we, we learn to, you know, um, as Paul Washer would say, to hate the things that God hates and love the things that God loves. We want the, the things of the Spirit of God to be, uh, to just be a part of the, the very fabric of who we are. Um, they would completely saturate our lives. And, and in this way, when the Spirit stirs in us and it informs our consciousness, that conscience that we, we hate sin, we abhor sin, and, and we love and we long for righteousness. And when that takes place in our hearts and our souls, then we can have confidence that we are in the faith. Um, the second point we see tonight in verse 13 uh, is mortification of sin. And in verse 13, it says, By the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Um, it's a figurative way of saying to get rid of these things, to remove these sinful deeds from our lives. It brings to mind the, the verses of Jesus. In Matthew, he, he's, also, he's speaking in a figurative way in the book of Matthew, and he says this, If your right eye causes you to sin... Tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. The Puritan John Owen, he famously said this, Be killing sin or it will be killing you. So our Christian lives must be this daily battle to the death with our flesh and with our sin. 
And when we look at the work of the Spirit in our lives in regards to how does it um, help us? How, how does the Spirit work in us to kill sin in the Christian life? We can see a few different things. Uh, first of all, we see that the, the Spirit is what makes us alert to sin. It, it makes us recognize sin. It, it reveals the sin to us. And once it has revealed it, it also makes us grieve over sin. In other words, the, the Spirit's the one who brings about conviction of sin in our lives. Without the Spirit making this clear to us, we wouldn't see it. We wouldn't be aware of our sin and be convicted of it. But, uh, if there is an understanding of sin, and a, and a genuine, if there's this genuine grieving in the heart that we have sinned against God, Again, we can have confidence that the Holy Spirit is working in us in that way. Also, uh, we see that the, the Spirit also applies this sin-killing work of Christ to us, so to our hearts and our souls. So when we repent, we believe the, the work that Christ has done is credited to us, his perfect life is considered by God to be our perfect life. His death for sin is considered by God to be our death for sin. And so um, the Spirit applies this to our lives. Um, it also, the Spirit enables us to fight the good fight of faith. We, we read about this in First Timothy. And ultimately... Uh, the way Dr. Beakey puts it is it enables us to put the sword through the sin in our lives and to put it to death. And we know that this, this battle will never be complete. We'll never fully achieve this in this life, but it, that's the goal to which we strive. And so... We've seen so far that it, the Spirit develops an oughtness in our Christian life. It, it brings about the killing of sin. Thirdly, uh, the, the Spirit leads the life of the believer. And we see this in verse 14 in chapter 8, where it says, All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So if we see that our lives are led by the Spirit of God, we can have confidence. We can have uh, an assurance that we are sons of God. And Dr. Beeky says here in this study that this is an area where it's, it's very difficult to, to understand exactly what's being said. It's very hard to articulate kind of how all this works together. Um, but in general, we can break it down into kind of two categories. Uh, first of all, the Holy Spirit illumines our mind. So he... The Spirit grants us the ability to understand, to understand the Scriptures, to understand the truth of the Gospel, and to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. The, the, the Spirit does that to our minds. And secondly, the Spirit enables us to walk in the right direction, to do that which we should, to walk in the light. Um, because without the work of the Holy Spirit, we cannot walk 
as we should. And that's what we read about earlier in Romans 8. Uh, there Paul writes, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So with, without this Spirit of God, we cannot walk in the correct way. We cannot please Him. We, we must be directed by the Spirit of God if we're going to do that. Another point we see here of the Spirit working in the life of a believer, um, after we see the leading there in verse 14, we see this concept of adoption. Adopted as sons in verse 15. So verse 15 states, We have received the Spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So this idea that, that God the Father has adopted us as sons and then we have all the rights and, and the privileges then of a, a natural born child. And it's this incredible truth that we read about in Scripture and to, to be conscious of that fact, to understand it, to think about it. It can be a, a very freeing, a very, insur- a very assuring thing in the Christian life. Um, to understand and to go through and to see this concept of being adopted as a child of God. We also see, verse 16, that the Holy Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are children of God. And we spent, um, spent a session on this verse as one of the secondary subjective grounds of assurance. <clears throat> And here in this session, what Dr. Beakey adds to this is how the witnessing of the Spirit with our spirit affects our whole lives. And so he talks about that a little bit. And so we see how it changes things in our lives. So first of all, we see that uh, when this happens, the, the testimony of the Spirit with our spirit, it changes our relationship with God, right? We go from being enemies of God to being adopted sons that we just talked about. Secondly, it, it changes our relationship with the lost world around us. Jesus said the world hated him and it will also hate those who follow him. In First John, we read the world does not know us because we are not of the world. Also, the world did not know him so it changes our relationship to the world it changes our relationship with ourselves again in first john we read that the the one is truly filled with the holy spirit will forsake sin and will pursue righteousness john talks about that it changes our relationship to the future first john chapter 3 verse 2 says that we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. And finally, this changes our relationship with other believers. Because we are now brothers and sisters in Christ. 
part of, part of one family of God, part of one household of faith. So it, it affects every part of our lives. Um, it's very much like Jesus said when he said his food was to do the will of him who sent him and to accomplish his work. So all of Jesus' life consisted of, it was consumed with doing the will of the Father. And the same will be true of those who are filled with the Spirit of God. And then finally tonight we want to look at verse 17. In verse 17 we read about the reality of suffering in the Christian life. Verse 17, Paul writes, If children, then we are heirs. We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Again, this is the idea of being an heir of God um, through our union together with Christ. And Dr. Wayne Grudem writes this in his systematic theology. He says, in fact, it is not only gifts in this life that God gives to us, but he also gives us a great inheritance in heaven because we have become joint heirs with Christ. Paul says you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir. We are, in fact, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. As heirs, we have the rights to a great eternal Inheritance, which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, what Peter writes. All the great privileges and blessings of heaven are laid up for us and put at our disposal because we are children of the king, members of the royal family, princes and princesses who will reign with Christ over the new heavens and new earth. As a foretaste of this great privileges, angels are even now sent to minister to us and serve us. So it's this incredible privilege we have of being in Christ and being heirs with Him. But we also see in this verse, as it's often been said, there's there's no crown without a cross. And... um, So there's also suffering that's involved. Paul writes something similar in chapter 3 of Philippians. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So although there is, is suffering in this life as children of God, we've read about that, There's also glory in the next life. As John Trapp, he wrote this. He who fears a rainy day is forgetting that he's riding to be crowned. For he who is riding to glory need not fear a rainy day or two. So this idea of the confidence that we can have through the Spirit that Paul writes about in these verses in Romans 8. We've seen the the effect that these can have, the the assurance that these verses can give and and the points that we've brought out tonight. 
how the, the Spirit testifies with our spirit and how it, it leads to this assurance that we, indeed we are in Christ and He is in us. And so next week we'll, we'll come back and it'll be our concluding lesson in this study. And we'll actually look at some very practical applications uh, of the doctrine of assurance. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for how, how your spirit does minister to us and gives us assurance of faith. We, uh, Lord, we pray that you would just you would help us as we go throughout the rest of this week. Lord, that we would be obedient, that we would honor you, that we would worship you in all that we do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.